0: Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord, uh, sorry, dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes." When David returned to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will, even, I, will, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death.
1: So keep your Bibles open if you've uh, got, got a Bible there, or your phone, or, or whatever it is. And um, John has prayed for us, which is great. Um, so let's, let's hook in together to this passage. Um, Uh, I'll let, I think yeah I think Liam's going right. to do them for me, which is great. yeah. Um, so truth about God, the living God, uh, when believed and taken into our lives, it's a truth that is meant to, to change us. It's meant to turn our lives upside down. Life becomes different when we believe uh, and live out the truth about God. Uh, we have truth about God to believe together, to live out together and to tell others about together. Truth about God means life cannot be the same. When a person changes and you uh, see a, a noticeable difference in them, don't you want to know why? When I do. What's happened to you? Why have you changed? What's going on? This is really what confronts us in our Bible passage tonight. Last Sunday, we left King David and the people of Israel stuck in a place of fearful uncertainty. But as we continue on in the verses tonight, something different has taken place. They're very different. We find them giving a loud voice to an intense and clarifying joy. And the question that our passage keeps pushing at us to understand, why? What's happened? Why the change? Tonight's passage from 2 Samuel 6 is part two of last week's passage. They go together. 2 Samuel 6 is all about King David's decision to bring the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem. David's city the city where David would rule as Israel's king for a period of 33 years here is the picture of the ark of God that John O. put up last week way earlier in the Bible back in the book of Exodus God told his people to build this ark God told, told them exactly how he wanted it to be made this ark of God was to be a powerful symbol of God himself The God of holy love was to be there, living in the midst of his own people. God told them where he wanted this ark to be placed. Do you remember? In the tent. In the holy of holies. And God told them exactly how to build that tent as well. This tent would symbolise God's royal residence. Well, as you know, the ark of God was a box overlaid with gold The stone tablets that Moses had brought down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments of God written on them were put in the ark. God was their king. Israel was God's rescued people. They had been rescued to know and love and obey God. Um, The ark symbolised the covenant relationship between God and his rescued people. By bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem, King David was making an important statement. From this time on, Jerusalem, the city of David, was to be known as the city of the living God. And David was saying, even though I'm king, I'm really king under God. God's the real king, with the real power, with the real right to be honoured, worshipped and obeyed. But as we saw last week, it all went terribly wrong. I wonder whether you, like me last week, were deeply challenged. Do I take God seriously? How awful it is to have a casual attitude toward God. How dare I think that somehow the almighty God is answerable to me. Where is the trembling joy in my life that is so right in the presence of the holy God? King David had to learn this lesson the hard way. If he was to be God's king over God's people the fear of God had to be the all-important foundation in his life. We learn that back in Deuteronomy 17. And you know, this is what makes Jesus Christ so beautifully attractive. He will delight in the fear of the Lord, says the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. When Jesus cried out to God his Father, he was always heard, Hebrews 5, because of his reverent submission to God his Father. The fear of God was the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ's life. Well, may God make each of us beautiful in this way, just like our Lord Jesus. We were left last week with King David and the people of Israel in a state of limbo. The first attempt to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem had failed. The fearful uncertainty that they felt is expressed so helpfully for us to think about in our own lives in these words by King David, where he says this. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? (laughs) Indeed, how? (laughs) Well, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Yet... What's amazing is that just a few verses later, we read this. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. From fear to joy. From being unwilling to being willing. A renewed joy had filled David and the people of Israel. Why? What had happened? The whole of verse 12 gives us the answer. In verse 12, we will see a truth about God to be believed, a truth about God to be taken into our lives, a truth about God to be embraced with trembling joy. You see it there? King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has. Why? Because of the Ark of God. So David... (laughs) This is what made the difference. When he heard that news, David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Being told the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom links us into a truth about God that is central to the whole of the Bible. It is the truth about God's unbreakable commitment to bring his saving blessing to the whole world. This is God's unstoppable plan and it shows us why God is such a glorious God. God is committed with a steadfast love not to leave our world cursed, broken and hellbound because of our sinful rejection of him. From the very mouth of God himself in Genesis chapter 12 comes God's promise that he is going to bring his blessing to the whole world and to all the people in it. In Genesis, we are told that this blessing will come to the world through a descendant of Abraham. Next week, we're going to learn that this person will also be a descendant of David. Make sure you're here next week. It's a really important part of the Bible. The Lord Almighty enthroned between the winged angels on the ark of God. Last week we were reminded he's not safe, but he is good. Tonight in our passage, it is his goodness, his blessing that is going to be lifted up before us. In the big story of the Bible, God's good blessing is this. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David, into the world not to condemn it but to save it. John chapter 3. That's good news, isn't it? And you know why God did this? The Bible says God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to turn to him and to live. Ezekiel 33, 1 Peter 3. God is so committed to this happening that he did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. Romans chapter 8. What more could God have done than give to us His only Son? God has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus now sits enthroned as God's King over all the world. Acts chapter two. And all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Romans chapter ten. And those who are saved are blessed, blessed with the gift of God's Spirit, blessed with with forgiveness of our sin blessed with a life with God forever and blessed with so many other blessings that come as we are united to Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 1. Is Jesus Christ in his rightful place? Thanks be to God, yes, he is. This is God's truth. That means life cannot be the same. This is good news for believing together, good news for living out together, good news for telling others about together. The story of the Ark of God in our passage is actually a wonderful little reminder of this truth because after decades of sinful neglect, the Ark of God is at last restored, we're told, in our passage, verse 17, is restored, we're told, back to its rightful place, which is where? the tent the ark finally is restored back to the tent and so too the lord jesus christ has been raised up by god to his rightful place as god's true king and so the question comes to us tonight is the lord jesus god's king in his rightful place in your life and in my life Our passage opens up in a particular way of of us personally thinking through this very question. Is the Lord Jesus in his rightful place in my life? Well, In our passage, it teaches us that if he is in in the rightful place in our lives, firstly there will be a certain kind of rejoicing and joy in our life. And secondly, if Jesus is in the rightful place in our life that he deserves to be, there will be a certain kind of lifestyle that will be being lived out and so we're going to look at those two things briefly firstly a certain kind of rejoicing and joy evident in our lives as the ark of god is restored to its rightful place there is much joy and gladness and you see that in the passage don't you david's leaping and dancing with all of his might among the people there is shouting and loud trumpets but our passage also makes clear that they had learned the hard lesson of their first failed attempts. Their joy is mixed with great care and precaution. Their joy is mixed with a right fear and a trembling before the Holy Ark of God. Do you and I see having Jesus as our King as both a joyful and fearful thing? Are we glad to trust and obey Jesus in our everyday life? Are we fearful not to trust and obey Jesus in our everyday life? And why is Jesus the kind of king we would gladly submit to? Well, in verses 17 to 19 of our passage, David is a little picture of Jesus. Have a quick look. Uh, You'll see the, the verses on the screen. We see in these verses, firstly, David acting like a priest, offering sacrifices for his sins and the sins of the people. See, this king is able to bring to us God's forgiveness. This king is able to bring us into God's presence with confidence. We also see in these verses David blessing the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now, perhaps he's sending them home with a prayer of, of safety and security. See, this king is able to bring to us God's protection. We also see David here sending every person home, no one misses out, with a, a goodie bag a food. See, this king is able to amply provide for his people. It's such a picture of joy and peace and contentment. When Jesus is in the rightful place in our life, he will never let you down. You might think sometimes he has let you down. But the truth is, if you hang on to it and don't let it go, he'll never let you down. Hang on to him and keep hanging on to him, no matter what. Well, the second thing is, if the Lord Jesus is in his rightful place in our life, a certain kind of lifestyle will follow. On the outline that you have, I've called this, uh, Are We Clothed in True Dignity? And in our passage, we get a really stark and unusual picture of this. But it's a really helpful picture. It's the description of the way that King David carries on as the Ark of the Lord is brought into Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but he kind of acts like a crazy man, doesn't he? Leaping and dancing with all of his might, and we're told he's dressed in a linen ephod. And a linen ephod was like like an apron. Uh, It was what the everyday priest in Israel wore. Now, whether this is all he had on, we're not super clear about. His wife certainly thought he he was underdressed. She gives it to him, both barrels, doesn't she? In fact, she's so worked up, she doesn't wait till he walks in the door. She goes out to meet him. Have a look in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said... How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David's wife saw his behaviour as undignified, as vulgar. We are meant to see David's carry-on as a picture of true dignity before the Lord. I've always struggled with being a self-conscious person, uh, standing up in front of people with lots of eyes on me. Uh, many years ago at a conference that I went to, we had a guest speaker. I can't remember what exactly he was talking about, but I do remember that he wanted us to, to do an exercise, and I don't know why he wanted us to do this exercise, but he wanted us to talk about ourselves in the third person. you ever tried that? Chris loves, you know, Chris loves this and Chris does this. You're talking about yourself in the third person. Uh, he asked for a volunteer willing to come up and to give it a go. Uh, though there were probably 60 or so people there, I just knew he would pick me. I was doing the whole don't look at him, don't look at him, don't look at him, that might have been my downfall. There I was. Sixty set of eyes on me. I just struggled to do it. To talk about myself in the third person. One stuttering attempt after another as I could see people growing increasingly embarrassed for me. I don't know what was worse, that scarring moment stuck frozen in the headlights or the 60 or so people feeling so sorry for me they were trying to make me feel better the rest of the conference. There was no self-consciousness in King David. That day, as he leapt and danced with all his might before the Lord. There was no concern that day about what others might think of him. He wasn't performing for the crowd, wanting their applause. He was, as an old hymn puts it, just lost in wonder, love and praise. As far as David was concerned, it was just him and God. David knew that this wonderful thing that was happening, the ark of God coming to its rightful place, was not about him. He was just glad before the Lord to be a person with no royal robes, no dignity in other people's eyes, no power, no prestige. Believe it or not, King David's carry on that day is the picture of true humility. You wouldn't think so, would you, when you read the passage? Really? He doesn't doesn't look like a humble person, the way he's going on. But we, we get all mixed up about what humility really is. It's easy to look humble, to play at being humble. In my struggle with self-consciousness, I might appear to others to be humble, but I've come to realise at its root, my self-consciousness is all about pride, all about me and how others view me. A little book that Tim Keller wrote has been very helpful to me. His description in the book of true humility kind of was a little light bulb moment for me. And this is what he says. Here's his definition, he says the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. you see the difference? Keller goes on to say true gospel humility humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stopped thinking about myself, which is why I think Keller calls his little book the freedom of self-forgetfulness. If Jesus is in his rightful place in our lives, our lives will be characterised by self-forgetfulness. It's not about you and me. It's about serving the Lord Jesus with all our might. If being lost in wonder, love and praise means we look undignified in other people's eyes, so what? We'll be okay with that, won't we? A life of glad submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of true gospel humility, might look to others crazy, oddball. But this is because not everyone sees that God has raised Jesus to his rightful place. And we must never forget that it's only by God's grace that you and I have seen that for ourselves. This brings us to the tragic story of Michal, daughter of Saul. In our passage, she's not called David's wife, but three times, daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul. She is her father's daughter. Looking down from the palace window on David, celebrating before the Lord, she despises him in her heart. Just like her father Saul had come to despise David. And just like her father Saul, Michal cared too much about the opinion of other people. Her words to David are full of awful sarcasm, aren't they? Have a look at them again. David comes home to bless his household. That's the tragedy, isn't it? He came home to bring God's blessing to his own home. And, and look at what he's met with. She comes out the medium and says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. See, the slave girls of David's servants, they were on the lowest rung. He couldn't get lower. Macal valued worldly glory, she valued honor, she valued status. But David, God's king, was to be a different kind of king, with a different kind of glory. Look at his response. David said to Macal, "It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord." I'll become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. See, David knew he wasn't the glorious one. In his own eyes, David regarded himself as small, of little account. The word he uses of himself is low. David would not seek to be great in his own eyes. He knew he was only king because God had chosen him. And he doesn't see himself as a king. Notice he uses the word ruler, which is the word prince or leader. Uh, And the people that God had raised up for David to lead and serve were not his people, he says. They were the Lord's people. God's goodness and grace to David made him both humble and joyful. In God's kingdom, this is true glory, to be joyful and humble. The glory of this king will be recognised, not by the likes of uh, Saul's daughter, but by the slave girls of the world. The weak, the lowly, the despised of the world, they will honour God's humble king. You see, the kingdom of Saul versus the kingdom of David. Tragically, Macau chose the kingdom of Saul God had already passed his judgment on the kingdom of Saul. This kingdom had no future. Michal will not be able to bear children because there will be no place for kingdom of Saul people in the kingdom of David. So do not be a kingdom of Saul person. Be a kingdom of David person. Years and years ago, I benefited greatly from a talk given by a wonderful couple, Uh, they were very encouraging this couple, Uh, and I know Jono would know them um, and will will have been encouraged by this couple in his own life, Dudley and Elizabeth Ford their names were, Uh, I was at a talk where they were giving us lots of encouragements about how to be a person who sticks it out for the long haul, serving Jesus. On this topic, they were really worth listening to because they were such a great example of this. Here they were in their old age and they were still serving Jesus with all their might. Uh, They were such a great couple to learn from. I kept my notes from that talk and I sometimes go back and look over them. Uh, Basically, in the talk, they gave us 12 encouragements to persevering in following Jesus Uh, I'd love to go over the whole 12 tips but tip number 9 or encouragement number 9 applies to, to the talk tonight and this is simply what they said learn to play to the gallery and audience of one we all have a craving to win approval of our peers and those over us but keep your eyes on Jesus please him no matter what see Jesus lived and died and rose again for us he did this gladly before just an audience of one he did this so that we could gladly do it too learn to live our lives before an audience of just one well let me pray Heavenly Father, we are so glad and thankful to you for your goodness and kindness to us and that we can be together tonight like this. Father, we want to thank you for your King, the Lord Jesus, despised and rejected by people but not by you. Thank you for the glory of his humility and the wonder of his love. Father, please keep each one of us gladly serving in his kingdom all the days of our life. Father, keep us... Help us to have our hearts fixed and centred on pleasing only him. For we ask this in his name. Amen.